We're in Luke chapter 8, and we left off last week speaking about the Word. Of course, we we did the parable of the sower and the seed that fell upon that good soil. Obviously, the seed was the Word and the the soil, the heart uh, that received the Word. And then we finished with the lamp under the jar. And so we're going to be picking up at verse 19, but let's go ahead and pray together, and then we'll get into the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for bringing us all together and uh, for the beautiful worship. Uh, just thank you for Rosty and Katie just leading us in those songs and um, just how powerful, Lord, as we sing unto you, you are a great God and Savior. And so now as we learn your word, we ask that you might teach and instruct, Lord, convict us of sin. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that we might be transformed. Lord, let none of us leave here the same way we came in. Even if we're familiar with the stories, may you teach us something new. Take us to a deeper place in our relationship with you. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 19, or sorry, chapter 8, verse 19. So let's go ahead and start reading here. Uh, then his mother, then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I'm going to stop there for a moment and just talk about this issue. Now, first, the first thing I want to say about this, before we get into the issue of Jesus' family, is that let's talk about the statement, because Jesus actually taught something here, and it's really important. We don't want to lose that. He, he, Jesus made a statement, my mother and my brothers, my family, are those who hear the word of God and do it. And this goes right along with the parable of the sower. It goes along with the, the parable of the lamp uh, that's not hidden but put out. And that idea here is that, that Jesus has said that if, if you hear God's word and you are a doer of God's word, you are a part of his family. You're welcome into the family of God. You see, God's word doesn't return void. When we hear it and we receive it and we live it, uh, we become different. We become transformed, obviously, by faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But there's actually an invitation here to become part of the family of God. My mother and my brothers. What a statement. You know, usually when a mom and brothers, sh- your family shows up, they kind of get priority. They're outside. Hey, your mother and brothers are here. They want to see you. Oh, yeah, okay, guys, hold on. Everybody hold on a minute. I got to go see my mom and my dad. You know, my mom and dad attend our uh, church on Sunday mornings, and I know that they're watching right now, and uh, (laughs) it's real fun to watch. Sometimes I'll introduce people on Sunday morning, oh, this is my my dad, or this is my mom, and uh, people are like, ooh, wow, the pastor's mom and dad, you know, and uh, (laughs) it's kind of fun to watch their, their response to them. And uh, I've had a running joke with my parents for years uh, that I've told them, uh, you know, really, you should thank me for having me as a son. So every Mother's Day card I've written to my mom is about, like, how, how thankful she should be for me. It's, it's a running joke we have. And uh, so anyway, but the whole idea here is that um, – when mom and dad come, when brothers come, when family comes, we give a higher priority usually to our family. 
I guess if you like them, right? Uh, but <laughs> in all seriousness, the, the, there's a priority there. And Jesus isn't saying that they don't matter. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't just blowing them off, but he's resetting the priorities. He's saying, no, no, listen, my mother and my brother are those who, do, who hear the word of God and do it. Now, let's talk about Jesus' brother, mother and brother. So, first off, this goes against a very popular teaching, and, and it really comes from the doctrine, the Marian doctrines within the Roman Catholic teaching, and that is that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that that was a part of this miracle that God did in her, that she was a perpetual virgin. But that's simply not what Scripture teaches. Scripture doesn't teach that at all. In fact, we know from Matthew, Matthew 13, 55, we read uh, in that verse, you got that verse, Matthew 13, 55? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Now, we don't know how many sisters Jesus had, but, but we do know that he had these brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And the, the important thing about this is in Matthew, people are saying, hey, we know your family. You're not some stranger. We, we know who they are. We know who you are. In fact, actually, in the Gospels, there was one point, and this is one of those points, when it was almost like they're kind of accusing him of illegitimacy. Because, hey, we know where you came from. We know... Uh, it was before Joseph and you got married. But nonetheless, we know that from Scripture that it teaches that he did have brothers, and Mary and Joseph. We, of course, the Scriptures say that, that Joseph did not know Mary until after she had given birth to Jesus. And after she had given birth to Jesus, then he knew her in a, in a marital way. Uh, but, uh, but it, it wasn't until after she had given birth. And so, of course, these other sons come. Now, by the time Jesus does his ministry, we don't read about his father at all. So we assume that his father had passed at some point and, uh, was no, and Joseph was no, was no more with him because we see his mother and brothers coming to, to greet him. James, the brother of Jesus, ends up leading the church in Jerusalem. He ends up becoming the head, the, kind of one of the head leaders in the church in Jerusalem, not because of birth status or birth relationship, but because of belief in Christ. It's just what God did. God, God uh, lifted him up. And we read about him in Acts when they had the council at Jerusalem, and Paul had, had gone to Jerusalem, and they were talking about, what do we do with all these Gentiles? And, and James actually speaks up then. In fact, when I was in Jerusalem, uh, John Davidson, uh, our missionary there, he was taking Laura and I around and showing us different things. And uh, he showed us this cistern that in the first century would have been totally empty. And he showed us some things about the cistern. And he said that, that they actually believe that this cistern, it's kind of outside the city walls, uh, was the meeting place of the early church after persecution broke out. And it would have been the church that James was shepherding there in Jerusalem. It's, pre it's pretty awesome to see that. But, but James, who wrote the epistle of James, the, the letter of the book of James, and uh, would have been this same James. Uh, because James, the brother of John, he was uh, martyred very early on. Now, Jude is the other brother who's mentioned here in Matthew. 
And Jude, or Judas, as, as mentioned in Matthew, is the one who wrote the epistle uh, Jude, who, which we have that, that one chapter little letter that we have uh, right before Revelation. So that would have also been the brother of Jesus. So that's uh, Jesus's family, but, but the important thing to take away from this is not that Jesus had family, but who qualifies to be in the family of God? And it's those who hear the word of God and do it. So with that said, we're going to transition from, from hearing the word, doing the word, receiving the word to some incredible miracles. So let's go to verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they, were fill- and, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and said, and rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Now, uh, we know from Mark's gospel that Jesus had actually been teaching off the shore. A large crowd had gathered around him, and he had gotten into a boat and was teaching from the boat. Now, I have a picture of a boat from the first century. This is actually called the, the Jesus boat. It's kind of named that. It's actually not very big. When I was there, I had a 360 camera on a long pole, and I actually have some video footage, but I stuck it underneath the boat because I just wanted to see what it was later, and alarms went off. It was awesome. It'll be amazing if they actually let me back in the country. Uh, <laughs> So, but uh, this is the Jesus boat. This was a first century fishing boat. Again, it's not very big. I know there's no people in the, the, the picture to kind of show the size, but, but it, it's probably about the size of, of the, the stage up here as far as lengthwise go. Uh, not a very big boat. And this was from the first century. It's a fishing boat. Now, um, Jesus would have been already teaching in the boat. And in Mark, it said... He told his disciples, let us go across the other side when evening came. So we're talking about uh, that when he decides to, to leave, let us go across the other side. We're not talking about morning. We're talking about an evening as he had dismissed the crowds and it was starting, the sun was starting to set. Uh, go ahead and turn off the lights. I got to turn off the lights to show you this video. Okay, go ahead. This is the Sea of Galilee. The sun is actually rising on the Sea of Galilee. And it, so where the sun is rising, that is where the area of the Gerasenes are, which Jesus is headed toward. So I, I'm flying from Tiberias area or kind of near on the side of Capernaum. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to show you that, that. So where that sun is, that would be the area of the Gerasenes across the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is sunrise, so things are getting brighter, but we would just reverse it, and, and we're talking sunset, Jesus decides to cross. So we're, you know, things are getting darker. Okay, you can turn on the lights, thanks. Um, it kind of gives you the picture there of what's happening. So Jesus says, let us go across the other side. The first thing we can see about the disciples is they were obedient. Jesus said, let's go across the other side. Okay, Jesus, we're going to go. 
And, and that's impressive. When we think about faith, obedience has to come to mind that, that if Jesus says, go, I go. If Jesus says, stay, I, I stay. That's part of being obedient. So before we get too far into the story, we have to see that he was obedient. They were obedient in leaving. Now we see the trial. And this is what shakes obedience. Anytime there's a trial, uh, we see that the, this windstorm came down on the lake and, and the wind uh, on the Sea of Galilee can become very violent, creating waves. And so much so that the boat was starting to fill with water and they were in danger. And verse 24 says, they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And actually, Mark records that they said, Master, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? So the question is, are they accusing Jesus? Are they asking for something from Jesus? What, what, what's going on in their minds? Master, master, we are perishing. Now, where is Jesus in all this? He's asleep in the back of the boat. He's resting, not bothered at all by the storm. And I've, I've often wondered about this because obviously Jesus was tired. He was exhausted. He's trying to get a nap here. Because he's headed somewhere, and we're going to see where he's headed to, is to set a, a, a demon-possessed man free. Well, actually, there were two, but, but, but Luke only records the one. He, that's where he's headed. And he's getting some rest in the back of the boat, and it's amazing how tired he must have been. You know, kids, when they're really exhausted, they, they, they go out, right? And there's nothing that could wake them. Right, you you could drop them and they're they're asleep. It doesn't matter what you do to them; they're they're just out cold. I remember when I was a kid. My actually, we were in high school, but my cousin uh, was living with us at the time, and he was a sound sleeper. Nothing would wake him up. Well, he fell asleep in front of my bedroom door, and in the morning, my my dad comes in to wake me up because my dad loved to wake me up. It was like one of his favorite things to do. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> Head in the air, feet on the floor, button gear, let's go. That was, that was my dad's good morning message. And uh, so anyway, he's trying to open up the door, and he's pounding, pounding, pounding. And, and I'm kind of like waking up, and I realize like, oh, dad, that's Jeff's head. He's just, gunk, gunk, gunk. <laughs> Jeff didn't even wake up. I had to get up and like move Jeff to, to get him up. Just so sound asleep. And... Uh, I know, I know it sounds like a comedy, but that's exactly what was happening. Jesus was exhausted because to think that in this storm, with waves crashing into the boat, that the boat is filling with water, he was exhausted. And so he was sleeping. And so they come to him with the problem, but it's not like they're coming with a, to him with a problem. It's more of an accusation. Master, master, we are perishing. We're, we're, this only we are perishing. You know that the, the question is, Master, uh, what should we do? All the different questions they could have asked. Lord, should we turn back? Should we keep going? No, just we are perishing. And of course, Mark's gospel says, "Do you not care? We are perishing." Jesus wakes up. <laughs> he rebukes the wind and the raging waves. They ceased. We, we know from the other gospel, he says, peace, be still, or be muzzled. And immediately it all ceases. And then he asks a question. 
Where is your faith? Now, friends, I want you to understand something about faith. Faith is not something we exercise once. It's not one and done. In fact, the more we walk with the Lord, the greater our need to exercise greater faith is. Faith is like a muscle that we, we grow that we continue to exercise. And, and, and the more we walk with God, the more opportunities we have to exercise faith in greater and greater ways. And the disciples were faithful men because Jesus said, come follow me, leave your nets. You're no longer fisher of me, fisher men. You're gonna be fisher of men. And they followed. And, and you and I would say, wow, what men of faith. They, they went with Jesus everywhere. And Jesus got into the boat and he's teaching. He says, let's go across the other side. And they went. And we'd say, oh, what great men of faith. But now Jesus says, where is your faith? And I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit sympathetic to the disciples. I, I, I know we have the whole story and we're like, duh, guys, what's up, you know? Uh, but, but I'm sympathetic to them because I've been in that place where like, Lord, do you see what I'm going through? Lord, do you understand? <laughs> so foolish when I ask God that. God, are you sleeping? You know, what's happening? Obviously, that's not true, but where is your faith? Where is your dependence on me? And it says they were afraid. They marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and water that they obey him? Now notice, they're first afraid of the storm. They're terrified of the storm. We're perishing. We're going to die. Jesus rescues them, and now they're afraid of him. Wait, this is, aren't you happy? Shouldn't you be celebrating? Now, who is this? Now, by the way, this is going to get a whole lot worse for the disciples in just a moment. This is the perfect Halloween story. I'm just telling you right now. It's a scary story because they start with a, a storm they're going to end up in a cemetery with a demon-possessed man. Uh, I mean, this is just like the ultimate scary story for these disciples. Now, now it's possible that the storm had some sort of relationship to what Jesus was going to do because we know that he's only going to the Gerasenes. He's going to set free this demon-possessed man, and then they're going to get in the boat and go back. And so maybe it's possible that there's some relationship to this. Jesus is prepping them for what they're about to see. I don't know. Maybe it's demonic forces stirring up things to try to uh, inhibit Jesus. And that's why he said, peace, be still, be muzzled. I don't know. But what I do know is this, is Jesus showed them that he had authority over the storm and over the sea. I don't think that's been seen like that since... God brought Moses and all of Israel to the side of the Red Sea. And on one side was the sea, and Pharaoh's army was barreling down to them. And there, Israel was saying, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Jesus, did you bring us out here in this boat to perish? And, of course, God told Moses what to do, and they parted the sea, and they crossed over on dry land. And then God wiped out the whole army of Pharaoh. And Jesus said, peace be still, and it all ceased. No, this, this is more than just a prophet. Jesus is more than just a man. He's God 
incarnate. Let's go to verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is an awesome story. It's probably one of my favorite stories. Well, I don't know. I'm going to say that about lots of stories. But this story, again, they come out of this storm, they land on the shore, Jesus gets out of the boat and there's a naked guy running around out of his mind who's demon-possessed. I I mean, honestly, I got to admit, I'd get out of the boat and go, nope, let's get back in the boat, (laughs) you know. This guy's running around, and, and I'm sure you may have experienced something similar, uh, and I think we're going to see it more, the, more and more in the U.S. As, as, as we're seeing the occult embraced in a greater way here in this country, you're, you're pro- we're probably going to see more and more interactions with, with people that are oppressed by demons. But nonetheless, uh, this man meets them, and, and what do we know about the man? Well, we know that the man is tormented. He's not in a good place. He, he, he's not in his right mind. In fact, he's out of control, and he's abusing himself. Notice what it says. It, it, the demon has given him this strength. He's been chained and bound, and he breaks free. He runs around. Um, he lives in the tombs and, and in desolate places. He's driven away from people. Everything that is good about life has been robbed from him. In fact, his very life itself has been robbed from him. He's not independent. He has no freedom. He has no choice. He's completely held captive 
by these demons. And it's not just one either. We are many, the demon responded. And so when, when Jesus arrives, we get a, a little keyhole picture into the spiritual realm here. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read these narratives about demon possession and, and, and the way the demons respond to Jesus, I, I want to just know a little bit more. Wait, hold on. How does this work? And, and what is this relationship? Because these demons come and they, they actually cause the man to fall down. So they're, they recognize who Jesus is. In fact, they recognize better who Jesus is than, than the people around him. The disciples are asking, who is this that even controls the wind and the waves? And the demons say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. (laughs) They have an understanding that even the people don't understand yet about Jesus. And, And so... As Jesus speaks with this man and says, what is your name? And of course, the demons are the ones responding, legion. They beg him that they might depart from him into the abyss. Now, we know, this is, it's interesting. Uh, The abyss is also synonymous in scripture with the deep or the very deep or even Hades. So we, we, we know that in Revelation, Satan will be bound for a thousand years into the abyss before he's released again uh, during the millennial reign of, of, of Christ here on the earth. And he'll be released again. He'll cause a great falling away. And then finally the whole consummation of everything. And then we'll have the great white throne judgment and the burning lake of sulfur and Satan, his demons and the Antichrist and the beast will all be thrown into the lake of sulfur along with all whose names are not found written in the book of life. But this de- these demons are begging him, hey, my, our time hasn't come. Our time hasn't come yet. So we get this picture that there is a time coming that they know about of judgment that, of course, Scripture reveals, but they know full well what's coming. And so they beg Jesus to go into the abyss, and, and notice what happens. He sends them into the pigs... And all the pigs destroy themselves. They rush down in the steep bank and into the lake and drown. This whole herd of pigs. Now, this also tells us that this is not the Jewish area. This is a Gentile area. They're raising pigs. The Jews wouldn't be over there raising have pig farming. And, and so all these, these pigs go kill themselves. Now, I don't know if this in some way was for the demons to set themselves free of the pigs or... Or what, but here's what I do know that these demons are all about destruction. They destroyed the man, they destroyed the pigs, everything living, every created thing, they just want to destroy and wreak havoc in. And it is Jesus who calms the storm. It is Jesus who calms the man and brings him into his right mind. It is Jesus who commands the demons. And where do we find the man? We find him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That's incredible. This man is a different man. One meeting with Jesus and he's a totally different man. 
<laughs> Shouldn't that be the way with all of us? When we meet Jesus and we become a totally different person. I know that's true in my life. I became a totally different person. It was like scales were lifted off my eyes. I could see things. I processed things differently when I met Jesus. Man, I uh, was talking to Hidardo and um, their friend who, she went back to Chile, but she received Jesus Christ and uh, there at their house, Holly and Hidardo's house. And actually it was Holly who was telling me that when she prayed to receive Christ, she said, is it normal to feel this great peace wash over you? And, uh, and uh, <laughs> Holly and Gerardo were like, yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember, that. as soon as they were telling me that story, I remember that great peace that washed over me uh, when, when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And this man, set free from all these demons... Oh, look, look how he doesn't even want to be separated from Jesus. The people come, and they're, they're upset about this. The, the, the people of the surrounding country, the garrisons, they asked him to depart from them. It's a sad day when we ask Jesus to depart because he brings peace into our lives because of his power. But the people are still doing that today. They're asking Jesus to depart from them. You know, it, it always amazes me that Christianity brings so much goodness and virtue into culture and community. And and, yeah, I recognize that there are people that say they're Christians and don't act like it. There are pastors that that abuse. And uh, those, I believe that those are the exception to to the group. Those are the wolves in sheep's clothing. But, But Christianity brings so much into community and culture. It brings peace. It stabilizes. It, it teaches us that we have a greater responsibility to those around us, not just to ourselves. The virtues of Christianity, Christian faith are great, and, and they're everything you want in a society. That's why our founding fathers embraced it so much, saying, hey, this is how this works, this, this republic. This is really how it works is Christian faith. Even those that were not so Christian recognize that Christian faith is, is essential to this republic because of what it brings. But yet, so often, the world wants Christianity and Christians to depart from them. Hey, you have no role here. Don't come here. We want to do what we want to do. And they're in chaos. And they wonder why they're in chaos. They, these people, the garrisons, they ask Jesus to depart. That's a sad day when you ask Jesus to depart. But notice what the man says. He said, I'm, I'm coming with you. <laughs> Listen, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going. Jesus said, no, you're not going. Oh, man. Meanwhile, you got to wonder if Peter, James, John, and the other disciples were like, yeah, we get to go. What's up? <laughs> so... But Jesus says, you return home. And we're going to see that later on that this man really has an impact because he goes home. You return home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I love it, the fact that he, he was commissioned and he set out on his mission. That, Jesus said, you're going to do this? All right, I'm doing that. 
He didn't chase Jesus along the shoreline. Guys, guys, maybe change your mind, you know. He went and did. So we get to verse 40. Uh, I want to make sure I got everything. Yeah, Uh, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. (laughs) The crowd's waiting for him on the shores. And there came a man named Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Oh, God, what a horrible situation to be in, your only daughter dying, young girl. I, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to lose a child. I, I've never experienced that, but I, I know friends who have, and, and what a horrible event. Everybody always says it leaves a great scar in you. And so this man, Jairus, who is a synagogue ruler, this is a, a well-known man. This is a, the synagogue ruler would care for the synagogue. He'd organize everything that was going on, the worship. He would have been very well respected, very well known. Uh, in a sense, you could almost say like uh, he was uh, today what we have for, for a pastor, right? Every, people in the community know the pastor. Uh, but th- this would probably be even greater so for the synagogue ruler. And so, so uh, he was a well-respected man. And he is there meeting Jesus, imploring him, you come to my house. Now, remember, there was another man who had a servant who was dying, the centurion, and he sent a servant to, the, to, to Jesus and said, please come uh, heal my servant. And of course, when Jesus went to go, he sent another person and said, look, you don't need to come. You just can speak the word and you have authority and and you can speak the word and heal him. You don't need to come into my house and make yourself unclean. And so uh, Jesus said, "Great, greater faith has he not seen in all of Israel. But here Jairus is coming and he's begging and saying, please come to my home. My, my only daughter, she's dying. She's age 12. Now, Jesus could have responded, did you learn nothing from the centurion? He understood. All I have to do is speak the words. But, but what we see is Jesus, he's going to follow. Look at what it says. And Jesus went. The people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter, good thing Peter spoke up. That's what we needed most. Said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I'm going to stop there. So Jesus goes with Jairus. And it's, it's beautiful. Jesus says, look, Jairus is inviting Jesus. Jesus goes. 
And Jairus obviously has faith because he believes that Jesus has the ability to heal his only daughter who's 12 years old. But on the way, the crowds are thronging Jesus. They're all coming around him. And, he, and he's moving toward Jairus' home with a mission of healing Jairus' daughter. It's a desperate hour. And this woman gets involved. Now, you, you got to just see things from Jairus' perspective for a moment. We'll come back to the woman. But um, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you're like, hey, I was in line. I was first. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> so you guys need to travel more to foreign countries. I'm just telling you. <laughs> so. When we got off the plane in Uganda, uh, they had all these problems with the immigration and, uh, you know, it's easier to, to assert your authority, especially with other cultures. And uh, the, the, there were Chinese businessmen who were in the back of us. Uh, and now why am I saying they were Chinese? Well, I saw their passports. Um, and uh, they, they kept trying to cut up, get in front and cut. And we'd all been waiting. They were super hot. Nobody's, everybody's crushed in on each other. And we're just, the internet keeps going down every five minutes. And, and then uh, there were people in front of us that had like a thousand people in their family and they were having all these problems and stuff. And uh, so everybody is tired. And, <laughs> and these Chinese businessmen keep trying to cut in front. And finally, I couldn't handle it anymore. I'm like, hey, back of the line. <laughs> and, then, and then there were people from other countries there and they're like, thank you. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you're all. Listen, I get it. I, I, you know, Jairus could have said, lady, can't you wait? My daughter is dying. You've waited 12 years, just a little bit longer. But notice this woman. Let's go back to the woman. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years, same age as Jairus' daughter. And, and she had spent all of her living on physicians. She had spent everything looking for a solution, and there was none. She was a defeated woman. And you can go later on to Leviticus 15, verses 25 through 33, and read the law about what it is for a woman to have a discharge of blood by this, like this. I mean, she was considered unclean. She couldn't sit on anything. Anything she sat on would have been considered unclean and unusable. Anywhere she would have gone or touched or anything, she would have been put outside. I, I remember in Uganda when we brought, uh, we started bringing days for girls there and their sanitary kits for girls because the fact is, is in the village area, girls, when they hit their menstrual cycle, they sit on cardboard, don't go to school because they can't do anything. And so we started bringing these uh, days for girls hygiene kits sanitary kits for, for girls. And man, the women were so thrilled to get these little kits that, that they could wear during their menstrual cycle. But even more worse was it for Jewish women. They were put outside the camp. So what does the woman do? Well, it says that, that, that she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. That's why I brought this out here. When we talk about the fringe of his garment, we're talking about this, th- these fringes. Okay, that Jesus would have been wearing a garment with these fringes. Obviously, they were uh, used for prayer and reciting the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And, um, and, and so she believed that if I could just get a hold of this, 
I don't even need to touch him, just this. If I touch this, I could be healed. And of course, she's not going to come up and say, hey, Jesus, give me a hug. Because everybody's going to say, I just made him unclean. So she, she, just, just let me just touch that. And of course, maybe for her, it was a little bit of superstition that she thought. But it, certainly it was faith. Because Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So when Jesus is touched, he perceives that power has gone out from him. And Peter's quick to say, look, master, there's crowds everywhere. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's bumping into you. How do you know that somebody specifically grabs some, some power from you? And I, I don't even understand the whole situation. But Jesus knew, no, somebody got healed. It wasn't hidden from him. And finally, when she realized that Jesus wasn't going to continue moving forward, she came trembling and, and shared what had happened. Jesus stopped. Listen, I want to encourage you, go through the Gospels and look for every time Jesus stops. It's pretty, pretty awesome study just to look when Jesus stops, when, when people stop Jesus, and, and when he heals, and when he does great miracles for them. And so, so she's healed, she's restored, she's told go in peace. Jesus is not made unclean because Jesus makes people clean, which is incredible. <clears throat> and now we get to verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Oh, how traumatic. That must have been from J for Jairus. Those words, your daughter is dead. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. It must have taken everything in Jairus to hear these words and believe. Do not fear, only believe. Because it was the impossible. Your daughter is dead. Do not fear. You know, from anyone else, those might not be comforting words, but from Jesus Christ, they can be extremely comforting words for those who believe. So verse 51 says, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. They laughed at him. Listen, friends, it's a good thing not to laugh at Jesus. If Jesus makes a statement, don't laugh. Like, <laughs> you're going to look like a fool. Because that's really what... We'll, <laughs> What it'll be. Those who, who, who sneer at Jesus, who laugh at him, those who reject him and scorn him. We know that the Bible says that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus says, Don't weep, she's only sleeping. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. Now, I want to say this about Jesus. Jesus says, she, she's not dead, but she's sleeping. But clearly, the, the, the gospel also tells us that her spirit left her. So, she was inanimate. She was 
what we would call gone at this point. You guys have all seen somebody who had passed away. They're not the same. They don't look like the person. They're clearly not there. It's obvious and evident. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 she's only sleeping. And part of it, I really believe it's not that Jesus was trying to deceive them, but Jesus understood that she was about to be raised up. Jesus saw things that we don't see. He understood things that we don't understand. And so he's able to make this declaration and he calls out child arise and, and her spirit returns. She got up at once and look at what he does. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, I know that when uh, I've been really sick or my kids have been really sick, you know what they don't do? They don't eat. Uh, you, you know that someone's really sick when they've just lost all their appetite, they can't eat, they're dealing with a fever or whatever the case is. They're really sick. They, they can't even muster up an appetite. It's everything just to eat something small. So we understand that whole idea that the, this girl who had been sick, and we don't know for how long she had been sick, but when she's finally restored, Jesus says, make her something to eat. She's hungry. And I, I think that's a real sign of her total healing from whatever took her life, that, uh, hey, she, she needs to eat. It's time. She's well. They're amazed, and then he charges them, don't, don't tell anyone what had happened. He's not ready for this to all be made known, the one who rises, raises the dead. And he himself will be raised from the dead on the third day. In Jesus, we find life, and that's what all these miracles have in common. We, we find those who have been cast away and cast out and out of control They're put in their right mind when they meet Jesus. And they sit at the feet of Jesus. We have a woman who's separated and unclean and and put outside who just exercises a little bit of faith and she's totally healed and made clean. And she's told, go in peace. And then we have Jairus and his daughter who Jairus comes to Jesus kneeling down and saying, please come to my home. I need you. And Jesus does. Listen, I I don't want you to leave here tonight without having a heart that's ready to kneel down at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if it's sin that you've been dealing with that's been holding you captive, keeping you in bondage and and, and uh, marring your soul. I don't know if it's loss and grief. I, I don't know where what you're coming in here tonight with. But whatever it is, I want you just to, let's take some time here and let's pray. And you tell Jesus what you need. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord God, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And here we are, Jesus. We're falling before you in faith. Jesus, I need. What do you need from Jesus tonight? Lord, I need to be healed. I'm sick. Lord, I need to be forgiven. I need you in my life. I need new life. I want to be your family. Lord, I'm grieving. I need your comfort. Jesus, I've been walking in disobedience and bound by it. I need to be set free. 
What do you need from Jesus? Lord God, we come to you exercising faith, believing that you can do what our physicians cannot do. Lord, you can do what our gurus and the wisdom of this world cannot do. And so, Lord, we cry out to you, Lord, you do a miracle in our lives. We thank you for your love, dear God. We thank you for your goodness toward us. And we trust in you and we, th- and, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. Calm the seas in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I think about the disciples and just what they saw in a 24-hour period. I mean, for you and for me, <laughs> wow, what a ride. And I'll tell you this, if you walk in faith and dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he can calm the storms, he can heal the sick, he can do marvelous works, and you'll get to be the one who witnesses it. So may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May he comfort you. May he restore you. May the Lord God lift his face upon you and give you peace. Amen.